Well, good morning. We are continuing our series in the life of David using First and Second Samuel for our text. Saul, the king of Israel, is dead. David, who has been called by God and anointed by the prophet Samuel, is still waiting to take the throne. He recently heard of the news of Saul's death, and we saw last week that David mourned and lamented this death and the death of Jonathan, Saul's son, and David's dear friend. Our passage today is what happens right after that. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses of 2 Samuel 2, and then I'm going to read one verse in chapter 3. 2 Samuel 2. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with them, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When it was told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And at the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And now chapter 3, verse 1. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are present right now, and I pray that you will meet us uh, wherever we are today. For some of us in this room, we're tired, we're anxious, we're angry, we're overwhelmed. For some of us, we're numb, we're apathetic, we're just coasting along. And for some of us, we are in a joyful state in a time that things are good. Wherever we are, however we feel right now, thank you that you know that, you love us, and you speak to us. May you do that through your servant and through this passage we look at today. In your name, amen. So about 10 years ago now, I read the story, I Am Legend, because someone recommended it to me, and I was really glad that they did. I Am Legend is a post-apocalyptic horror story, and it's pretty awesome. And I got to let you know that if you only know the name I Am Legend based on the Will Smith movie, you're missing out. The book is way better. So I was reading this book, and I was getting to what I actually thought was the end of the story, and I was surprised at how much I had left in the book. I remember feeling like the author was winding down, and yet I still had a lot to read. So I got to the next chapter, and I began being really confused. There were new characters that were introduced, and the settings seemed different than what I was used to. And I thought, well, maybe this is a dream sequence. 
Maybe this is something in the subconscious of one of the characters, but it did not make sense to me at all. But I kept reading, and I got to the next chapter, and I was even more confused as it was a whole other different setting. It was at that point where I looked at the cover of the book I was reading, and this is what I read. The title of the book was I Am Legend and Other Stories by Richard Matheson. I had in my hand a bunch of short stories, and I read it like it was one story, and it made me very confused. The mistake on my part came into my mind this week as I was preparing this passage, because I think it illustrates something about a struggle we face at times with Scripture. Now, the struggle with Scripture is different than the struggle I had with the book I was reading. I was reading a bunch of short stories and treating it like it was one, and that was unhelpful and not right. I think for us, there's an opposite problem at times when it comes to Scripture in the Bible. We treat Scripture like it is just a bunch of individual stories, rather than one story that God is telling us. Yes, the Bible is full of different genres, different books, different events, different authors, but at times it feels like we approach the Bible like it's just a bunch of different stories or sections that don't really relate to each other. And at times we do miss out on the beauty of the amazing story of the Bible. And I think this is something important to be reminded of as we think about the story of David that we are looking at these last few months. There is a danger of looking at the story of David as just an interesting story about a man who wants to become king. Or perhaps we think it's an interesting story about the Near Eastern political power struggle you could read about. To many, this story is like other stories in Scripture that are just events that happened a long time ago that might not relate to one another, might not be that interesting, might not be that applicable at all to us. Yes, this is a story about King David and the power struggle to take the throne. Yes, this is a story about the history of Israel and the political battles that arose. And this story is definitely about an interesting, flawed man that went from being a shepherd to the king of Israel. But there is so much more about this story. This story is about God's kingdom and God's king. This is a story about a God who pursues his children who continue to rebel against him. And this story is about a God who initiates relationships with those whom he created and loved. I am thankful that we're in this sermon series as a church. It is good and important to see how these stories in 1st and 2nd Samuel relate not only to the rest of Scripture, but to our lives today as well. The underlying plot of this story is the plot of the whole story of Scripture. God did back then, and God still today is pursuing and establishing his people in his kingdom under his king. From Genesis to Revelation, from the stories of David and the prophets to the stories of Jesus and the letters of Paul, we can see and we can believe that there is one story of our God pursuing and establishing his people in his kingdom under his king. Now maybe I didn't need to spend all that time talking about this to you. But I know for me personally, as I began to work on this sermon, I found myself needing to step back and say, how does this story matter to me in 2021? How does this story that we as a church are talking about these few weeks matter to us today? Well, I believe it matters because just like God is working in David's life here, he is working in our lives. And what is important to remember is the theme of this whole sermon series, that we have the hope of a throne that is unshaken. 
So our passage today begins with the words, after this. If you have other translations before you, you might see it translated, in the course of time, or sometime later. At this point, as I've already said, David has just learned that Saul is dead. The king who had been pursuing David, who had wanted David dead, who was preventing David from taking the throne that had been promised to David was gone. And what is going to happen next? Well, we see that David has to wait. David doesn't get what he has promised by God. As a teenager, the prophet Samuel anointed David as king, but now many, many years have passed. David has been on the run. He's been hunted down in the wilderness by Saul, and probably this lasted for about a decade. And he has built up a following, and he strategically is ready to move into the public stage of being a king. And now that Saul is dead, David is ready, and yet he still has to wait. In fact, it'll be at least another seven and a half years before what was promised to David comes to fruition. David had to wait a long time, and he knows and understands that as a follower of God and his kingdom, we are at times called to wait. David knows and believes that we are called to wait on the Lord with our lives. In fact, he sings about this theme over and over again in the Psalms. You could find them. Waiting on the Lord is a part of what it means to follow God. And David is not alone in this waiting. We see a lot of examples in Scripture of women and men who have to wait. Abraham, Sarah, waited a long time for the child to be born that God had promised them. Joseph, in his life, was put into prison for a crime he did not commit. And he sat in that prison cell and waited for years. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for God to let them into the promised land like he had promised. Many of you know what it is like to wait. Some of you, I know, have been in a waiting period for some time now, and it is very hard. Some of you, I know, are just holding on barely right now, thinking, I can't make it another year like this. The truth of our life is that God's timing and our timing don't always match up, and it is hard. And I got to tell you that I, in the beginning of this week, began writing out some examples of waiting to use for you as an application in this sermon. I began to think of the different ways that I know of you and I know of me that we are waiting in our lives, but the truth of the matter is we once again find ourselves in the news and in our city, the pain of life as we wait for justice and for peace and for the end of violence. The death of a 13-year-old boy, Adam Toledo, is deeply troubling, and it is hard to deal with. It seems like every week we're being reminded that the kingdom of peace and hope that has been promised to us from our God is not here yet. And it seems like every week in our city and in our country, women and men, boys and girls are being killed, and families mourn, and accusations and blame arise. And excuses are debated online, all the while another family is mourning and crying out, Oh Lord, how long? How long? And then we have another mass shooting in our country. And we need to ask, how long, oh Lord? We are waiting again and again for peace and for justice and for death to stop. And it is hard to wait for these things. Because it doesn't seem like they're ever going to end. It is hard to not just grow numb 
It is hard to not just try to escape the pain, to try to rationalize what's going on, to try to quickly move on and not wait, not try to understand, not seek out what God is doing in lament and in prayer. David here had to wait. But how does he handle his waiting here? No doubt David had a course of action in his mind when he saw that Saul had died. David, we've already seen, is very shrewd, he's very smart, and he's an amazing military leader. But what does the passage say David does as he waits for what's next? He inquires of the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He seeks direction from God. He waits for what is God's plan and what is God's way and when is it going to happen. And so God sends him to Hebron, to this great city of Judah. This is a place in Scripture that has great importance for the people of God. Much happens in the history of the people of God in Hebron. You could read about it in the Old Testament, including the fact that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah, all of them were buried in Hebron. This is a hollow ground. It's a fitting place to have a new beginning. This is a great site to launch God's kingdom rule through David over the people that call Abraham their father. And verse 4 says, The men of Judah came and anointed David king over the house of Judah. For the first time in our story, David is chosen visibly and acknowledged as king by these people in Hebron. Samuel, in a private ceremony, anointed David king many years ago, but now the house of Judah formally recognizes his kingship. And this is significant, but it is only one of the 12 tribes that acknowledge this. This is a great moment in David's life, but it is only Judah in the south, not the 11 tribes in the north, that are acknowledging David as a king. As I've already said, it'll take another seven and a half years for the whole nation to acknowledge David as king. Often God's kingdom and God's plan has small unexpected beginnings. Often God's plan and God's kingdom is not flashy or dynamic, but simple and slow moving. As our gospel reading reminded us today, the kingdom of God is often like a small mustard seed. Insignificant, hidden, and yet it grows larger than the other plants around. It scares me and it concerns me how often Christianity is promoted as something of power and significance. It concerns me how often the value of success and recognition are the marks of what it means that God is approving of us, that God's accepting of us, that we're doing right. It scares me how for some it feels like having a place at the table politically, socially, and culturally is the highest important value to be a Christian. It seems like people expect God's way and God's kingdom to be flashy and powerful and influential. And yes, God does move sometimes in very powerful, big ways. But often it starts small and seemingly very insignificant. Our passage today, David is recognized as king, but by only one small tribe, Judah. This doesn't seem too flashy, but God is starting his kingdom here. And we need to celebrate the simple and small ways we get to live out God's kingdom. You caring for your neighbors 
you providing meals for people here at this church that have a need or people in your community that have a need is kingdom work. You praying for our church, for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, for those that you don't get along with. That is kingdom work. You taking the time to learn and to listen about others and their pain and hurt, even if you don't fully understand or can't relate to their pain, but you listen and you learn, is kingdom work. You lamenting and mourning all the ways that we haven't seen the pain and the hurt of our brothers and sisters is kingdom work. And when we repent and when we acknowledge the ways that we have played a part of the pain and the struggles, that too is kingdom work. It is hard work at times to see and believe the small, insignificant things we do matter greatly for God's kingdom. And I am thankful we get to do this together. We need each other to promote God's kingdom because waiting is hard. We need each other to promote God's kingdom because it often seems like it's slow and insignificant and we want to give up because things don't seem to change quick enough for us. Don't give up. But we need each other as well because if we are trying to live out God's kingdom, there will be opposition. In our passage today, David shows some grace and humility to some of Saul's men And he makes his first claim to a tribe in the north to let them bow to him. And right away what happens is opposition of David's kingship comes by a man named Abner, who was the former commander of Saul's army. I really wish I had the time to go through the chapter 2 and chapter 3 soap opera of what's going on here. I'd encourage you this week to read up on these two chapters. This Abner, he's a piece of work for sure. But for the sake of time, what I will say is the verse that I read for us in chapter 3 is a good summary of what's going on in this section in 2 Samuel. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. There was and there will always be tension between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. There is still a long war going on today between God's kingdom values and the world's kingdom values. And honestly, we get tired and we get frustrated by the conflict we see and we feel. It is understandable, especially even this week, to wonder, God, if you are in control, why does this keep happening in our city and in our nation? God, if you are in charge, if you are the center of all things, why is there so much pain and death and suffering? God, if you are in charge, why is there such a tension between what you say your kingdom is all about, peace and justice and love, and what the world looks like, hatred and injustice and violence? And we must continue to lament this. And we must wait and cry out to the Lord and ask him, what are you doing? And what can I do? And we can, and we must, in the midst of our questions and our pain and our lament, we must believe, even for just a little bit, that we do have a king on the throne. And we have a kingdom that we get to live in and promote. Verse 1 of chapter 3 does say that there's a long war between David's house and Saul's house. But it continues and says that David's house grew stronger and stronger. The kingdom of David, which begins here in this passage, we're going to see is going to grow stronger 
and stronger and stronger till ultimately the true king, a king from the line of David, King Jesus will come to lead us into his kingdom. The story of David is our story as well. We have a king far greater than David that pursues us. We have a king far greater than David that loves us. We have a king far greater than David that promises to make all things right. And we have a king far greater than David who died for us because we needed that. May we believe that. May we live as daughters of the king, even in the brokenness of our city and the world, and know that though we can't see it, though we can't believe it, though we don't feel it, there is a throne that is unshaken. And that is Jesus on the throne, and he is reigning now. May we believe that and long for the day when he comes back to make all things right. Let us pray. Father, we do long for you to make things right. We pray for those families in our nation and in our city that are mourning right now. We pray for those in this room that are hurting right now. Lord, we long for you to come and make things right. And until you do, May we have faith to believe that you are in control and that you love us and that you give us what we need. Lord, let us be honest with you with our pain and our questions and our doubts, but let us also be honest with the fact that we need you as our king and we need to believe in you coming again to make things right. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name, amen.